Today we're reading from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 15, and chapter 7, verses 51 to 60. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebrew Jews uh, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the Righteous One. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning, Lord's love. Glad to see you uh, on this uh, beautiful uh, Sunday morning as the sun comes up and as next week is spring forward, uh, so are my eyes starting to water from the hay fever. Anyone else out there starting to feel it? It's, it's very real. 
so my eyes are a bit puffy and a bit blurry at this morning. But it's good. I'm glad to be here with you this morning. I just want to say as well that I know it might be difficult for some of you, but and the fear might be real still uh, with COVID and everything that's going on out there. But for those of you, especially watching online, I want to encourage you to join in uh, next week as we come back into in-person service. Uh, we love you guys. We miss you. For those that we haven't seen in a very long time, so we hope you're able to gather uh, with us uh, here uh, at church. I did this week, I had an opportunity to, to kind of browse through a photography book that I was, was recommended to me. And there's a book uh, called Resilient. And it's a photography book uh, by Wayne Simpson, who traces his lineage uh, back to Amjinan, First Nations in southwestern Ontario. And he goes around taking photos of people that, ordinary people, that have extraordinary stories that inspires him. They seem, uh, they seem like ordinary people on the outside, but he takes these amazing photos of them that really captures their heart and captures uh, their story. It's kind of like, you've heard of that uh, book, uh, Humans of New York, uh, written by Brandon Stanton. Well, it's kind of like that, except he takes the photo and he writes his own little sharing afterwards of how that uh, conversation impacted him. And in a description of this book uh, by himself, he wrote this, With compassion and respect, uh, Wayne Simpson has befriended individuals and discovered personal stories such as an 89-year-old homeless man struggle to survive, an 18-year search for a lost brother, or another man's 40-year devotion to building a 10,000-square-foot nuclear fallout shelter, and many more. Intertwined with each story is the sub-narrative of the photographer learning who he is as each connection is forged. And take stories like this, uh, a picture here of Leona Syke Grandbond, uh, for example. She's an indigenous woman who survived abuse and sex trafficking. And she told in this interview, uh, as, a, as a survivor, she felt that it was necessary to speak up despite her experience, despite the pain, uh, to let her voice be heard, not just for herself, but for others, for the countless others who have experienced abuse, and those that are caught up in sex trafficking. But also, as she spoke for uh, her community, as she represented the indigenous people uh, that she uh, came from, and those indigenous uh, women that have never returned home. Then Simpson said, as he heard the story, as he took photographer uh, photos of her, and as he writes in his book, he felt a lot of responsibility as he heard the story, the weight and the gift that he received, uh, the stories of these uh, people, women like Leona. And as we think about extraordinary stories, as we think about extraordinary stories, I think the book of Acts is fulfilled with them. Extraordinary stories from ordinary people. Extraordinary stories from ordinary people. And I believe that in this room, that if you find yourself to be ordinary, like myself, I believe that God's writing an extraordinary story in you as he is, as he has, and continues to write, uh, as we read through the book of Acts. And we're continuing on in our series called the Book of Acts, Gospel in Motion. We're learning what happens when a group of people take on the gospel, to understand the gospel. The gospel seed takes root in their hearts, and they go forth from that place, and they live it out. And the idea I'm hoping we'll receive this morning is this, that miracles happen through ordinary people. Miracles happen through ordinary people like you, like me, and maybe you're here today because of a miracle of some sort, uh, that someone reached out to you, some sort of conversation. You have your own extraordinary story of, of, of how God has reached out to you. And at this point, at this point in the church, uh, the church is 
large, uh, quite large, around 10,000 people all in one city. The entire population at that time in the city was maybe around 40,000, so it was actually growing quite a bit. That Christian population was sweeping over at the city. And for the first four chapters, everything seems to be working well, right? And then we hit chapter 5 last week with Ananias and Sapphira, and we're like, oh, okay, like, that's not so good. Uh, what happens when we lie to the Spirit and we don't follow in God's uh, got God's will and Nice Sephira and the havoc that Satan is trying to wreak within the church. And now today, as we see an, uh, another internal matter, we see a struggle between how the Hellenistic widows, uh, the Greek widows, were being ignored by uh, the church. They weren't being taken care of. Instead, the Jewish widows were being taken care of by the church. And, and that's an issue because later on in Acts 10, we'll see Peter uh, get a vision from God saying how God has freed all people. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. Uh, all people have been saved through this Jesus. But here they're trying to learn what that exactly means. And there are people left out on the wayside. I'm not going to focus on that too much. But I'm going to focus more on Stephen today, this morning. But what we see here that the church is meant for all people. And there's no ethnicity that we reject. There's no people that we reject. There's no walks of life that we say are too uh, far gone. That we're not willing to have a conversation and a relationship with. No, the church of Jesus is a church for all people, all people that were, are all, were called to love all people in the city. And here today we come to the story of the first Christian martyr. And what's fascinating here is that Stephen is an ordinary guy. All right, the first martyr wasn't an apostle, it wasn't like a super disciple of the church. It was, he was a regular guy. Uh, and you're thinking how this is a massive text, so what are we going to focus on? I'm going to encourage you. Uh, we didn't get a chance to read through like 50 verses in chapter 7 of the longest sermon ever recorded and, and, and written down in the Bible. So I encourage you after this, you go and read uh, Stephen's uh, very long uh, sermon. But we can learn here today five lessons from Stephen that I'm hoping we can gain for our own, uh, for our own lives. Uh, five lessons from Stephen, who is an ordinary person that God used in extraordinary ways that we read of today. And maybe you find yourself in this story here today, too, that you find yourself to be an ordinary person. Maybe in the story that God is writing inside your life. My first lesson, I'm going to jump right into it. The first lesson that we see here today, that the core of, the Christ, of Christian commitment is actually service. The core of Christian commitment is service. What do I mean by this? Because we follow a Jesus, we follow a God who came to serve and not to be served. To serve is to be like Jesus, and Jesus served in order to love. So if you're following and tracking with me, when you serve, you're really loving. You're loving the people around you, you're loving the community, uh, you're loving whoever God will place uh, in your midst. And here in Acts 6, 1-4, it starts like this. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Okay, so I, I really think that the early church was characterized by this heart of service. This heart, of, this heart attitude of serving and loving all those around them. Because we see with serving the widows here, what the apostles are saying here is they're not saying serving the widows are underneath them. 
that they're not worth being served, that they're not worth being loved. This isn't about what kind of ministry is better than the other or more important than the other. The point is this, that it is important to understand and to realize what is it that you are called to serve and to be in. What kind of ministry are you called to? What has God gifted you with? Here we see in this text, they say it would not be right. It would not be right for us to be a part of this. Not because what they're doing is wrong. It was not right for them to be to do this. Why? Because this was a responsibility they needed to hand over to someone else. This is a calling that someone else has. It is the responsibility and the passion and the desire of someone else in the community. So let's search for those people. So underneath all of this, all of this serving, and as they hand it off, as they delegate off to others, this is actually a matter of stewardship. It's a matter of stewardship. What it means to steward the gifts that God has given you. For the apostles, they're saying, hey, we need to dedicate our attention to, the, to prayer and to the word. That's what God has called us to. That's what God has called us to go and do and to ask our way of serving the community. But let's go reach out to those who have the gift of hospitality, the gift of caring, the gift of loving those around them in this way and help them to steward their gifts properly. It's about stewarding what God has given you. I have had a conversation uh, over the years that people, hey, they ask me, Doug, how long do you think you can stay here at Lord's Love? And I'm like, well, I don't have a timeline <laughs> exactly. And in my heart, when God calls me to go, I'll go. But what I do know, though, that the day that I am going, wherever it is, and if ever it is, that God calls me elsewhere, it is about stewardship of my gifts, my passions, where God is saying, hey, this is where you need to be. This is the time where you need to use this gift for, at this certain, at this time. And I was challenged by, I asked my uh, seminary professor during that time when people were asking, where is it they should go serve? And I was asking, hey, when should I leave a place, right? Uh, you know, I want to leave before people start booing me, you know, <laughs> away, you know, kicking me off the stage. But again, my professor encouraged me that it's a matter of stewardship. Is the place that you're settled in, is the place that you're gathered at, are you able to be a good steward of the gifts that God has given you? And is there an opportunity for you to steward that, to use those gifts and those passions and those, those desires. And the church, it, it is a beautiful place. It's a beautiful place where CEOs can find themselves on the greeting team, uh, managers and general managers, people that manage big groups of com uh, big companies and people can find themselves serving and washing dishes in the kitchen. I've seen that before. And you see people that don't, don't, don't consider themselves uh, really high up in society to be part of senior leadership in the church because that's where God has called them to be. That's where God has gifted them to be. It's not about our credentials. It's not because of your credentials that you serve where you serve. It's because of your call. Remember that. It's because of your call, your gifts, and your heart that God has placed you where you want to be. So are you being a good steward of the gifts that God has given you? And I was chatting uh, with uh, one of our leaders not too long ago uh, about how it really helped during university that during this university time, that people were giving that person uh, rides to and from church. And that really helped to encourage them to spur on their faith, to be connected to the community. Maybe that's a way of, that you can serve here today. See, the church is a beautiful place for you to be a part of what God is doing. And we see that with Stephen. We see that in the beginning of the church, that they found a way to be part of the church, to be involved in, because everyone has a gift, everyone has a role, everyone has a place within the church and maybe that could be you on senior leadership or driving that student to church 
or whatever, whatever it is that God is putting on your heart here today. And I want to encourage you too that not only uh, it's about how uh, you serve here on a Sunday, it's not about burning yourself out at church or on Sundays or in life group or whatever other ministries you have. Again, it's about the heart. It's about where your heart is with God, what He is calling you to do. If He's calling you to a season of rest and sanctuary and a place for you to be, then that's the best place for you to be at. But if God's calling you to be, hey, it's time to push, it's time to go, it's time to be part of the community in this way, then again, it's about stewarding that gift. It's about following God and His call. As I talk about serving, you're like, well, what are some places uh, that we can serve at? I guess I'm missing a slider. Uh, but <laughs> I want to encourage you that maybe the place for you to serve would be a place of skill. So in the church, there's a need, uh, and that need fits your skill. That like you're really good with working with your hands and tools, and you're really good with the drill. There's a place for you, definitely, as we're missing lots of boards outside. You saw our church foyer got painted. We need some boards back up there. Uh, we need people that are good with their hands, with drills. If you're good with planning, we, we, we need that. If you're good you have a heart for caring and you love talking with people we need that if you like to be in the background with administration we need that whatever gifts and passions you have and skills you have we need that as a church but maybe the place you want to serve is the place of passion as well that you just there's a part of the church that you're really passionate about you really desire that you love just smiling and saying hi to people and standing at the front door on sundays is like the best place for you to be that's a place of passion, of desire, and that's where you need to be. That's about stewarding what God has given you. Or maybe the third way, it's you see a place of great need. I'm not sure, I probably have shared this story before of how I started serving on the worship team. A place of great need. You're not sure whether waiting on tables is your gift uh, or Stephen's passion, but he did it anyway. Uh, he was part of that. But that's because it's a place of great need, and that was kind of the attitude. This verse here is what helped me. Uh, the worship team, this was uh, 15 years ago, at least, 15 plus years ago. Uh, Jimmy, who's one of our uh, leaders here, and he's going to be coming back on the worship team, he was like, hey, Doug, we need a drummer on the team. I'm like, Jimmy, I do not know how to play the drums. He's like, I know. <laughs> That's great. You want to come and learn? Uh, I was out of this need. Uh, that I joined the worship team. I'm like, okay, God, let's pray about this. Let's see. I don't know if I want to play the drums, because when you make a mistake, everyone knows. Like really badly and over the years everyone found out that I wasn't very good at the drums but it got better I took a step of faith and I discovered this new gift this passion that ended up being a skill kind of uh, that I got a little bit better at. so maybe it's a place of skill a place of passion a place of great need that God is calling you to and I don't know which one it is but I know that God has given you a gift he's given you a passion he's given you a desire and at the church that's the best place for that because miracles happen through ordinary people that as you step in and you take that step of faith we don't know what's going to happen next so it's through this kind of heart attitude the greatest miracles happen again through these ordinary people because we see here in the beginning the church here with stephen and, and the seven that that is humility and this willingness to be part of what the church is doing john piper this is the quote i put up here servanthood does not nullify leadership it defines it Jesus does not cease to be the Lion of Judah when he becomes the lamb-like servant of the church. It's not about prestige and being up there. It's about being faithful to what God has called you to. Whatever ministry God has called you to, it does not affect your identity and your worth in this life. Though maybe in the world out there, they're like, hey, 
aren't you so much better than this? Well, it's not about that. It's not about what you can produce. It's about your relationship with God. It's about how God sees you. I also like this quote from Harry S. Truman, the ex-former president. Uh, it is amazing what you can accomplish if you do not care who gets the credit. And I think that's a good word for the church as well. That it's not about credit, because Jesus is, uh, deserves all the glory anyway uh, as we come together. But as we come and as we serve, God is the one that gets the credit. Together we become a family that is joyful and we experience the community that the early church experienced. So the first thing, which I went on a little bit longer than maybe I should have, has to do with serving. But another lesson here we learn from, uh, from, from Stephen here is that the Word of God is of utmost importance. The Word of God is of utmost importance. As you're growing in your faith, as you're trying to discover who this God is, don't forget the Word. Spend time in the Word. Read the Word. Digest, uh, 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 take on the Word and digest it. Let it marinate in your heart. And let it transform you from the inside out. Because nothing is more important than the Word of God. Why? Because the Word of God tells us the will of God. And it tells us uh, the purpose. It reminds us of the purpose of our lives, the identity that we have, the gifts that we have. And as we go forth from this place, the calling that God has for us. And it's interesting in that after the seven were chosen, uh, again, who were Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, what do we read in verse 7 right away? What is it that we read? What was the result of them serving and serving the widows? We see this in verse 7. So the word of God spread. It's fascinating. The word of God spread as they went and served people, as they went to love people. It is the word of God that spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased again rapidly. And a large number of priests, even priests, those that knew or supposed to know what was going on and what Jesus was doing, what God was up to, even a large number of priests became obedient to the faith through what? The actions of ordinary people. Actions of these these people that just went to serve and they're humble enough to be like, hey, this is what we need to do and this is how I can be obedient to God. The word of God spread. The word of God spread. Nothing is more important than the word of God because again, it's the word of God that changes situations, that changes lives, that changes our perspective and what's going on. The word of God changes everything, guys. We need to go into the word and to read. Because God has revealed fully his will for us and his mind for us. I have this quote, and you might remember this, uh, Pastor Ben, he's a a pastor out in uh, Northview. He's coming actually in maybe a month uh, or so to come come and preach. But he said this this quote at a winter conference a few years ago, what you win people with is what you win people to. And that stuck with me and Pastor Howard as we narrowed, as we heard that what you win people with is what you win people to. And here in the early church, they were winning people with the word of God, really. As you're going off and sharing and proclaiming, as you're praying from the word, as they're explaining what the word is, they were winning people with the word. And that's why they were winning people to the word as well, that they stuck with it. But as with other gimmicks that we have, we try to you know jazz up you know, what ministry is and you know, make things get distracted, sidetracked. I'm, sure I, I I'm not saying we shouldn't have snacks, right, and food, <laughs> and, and games, and all that kind of good stuff, but that's not the core of what we do as a church, right? It's for us to come to understand the will of God. It's for us to come before the throne every single Sunday and to hear Him to remind us of what's most important. 
Because Stephen, he's about to preach the, the longest recorded sermon uh, here in Acts. And Stephen, he emphasized a few things. And I'm going to summarize it this way. He emphasizes the, the history of Israel, the rejection of God, and the law of God, and how they also rejected the Messiah. That's me summarizing 50-some verses into a sentence. But where did he get this knowledge from? Like, how did he know this about God? And it was from hearing and taking seriously the teaching of the apostles. He heard it and he took it seriously into heart. And he studied and reflected upon it. And maybe we remember back to Acts 2.42 when it was talking about the fellowship of believers. And what was it that they were doing? Well, they devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. Which is, seemed like what we're doing here today, right? <laughs> Every single item. That's what we're trying to do here today. And the question for you and for me is have we devoted ourselves to the Word in the same way? Not out of, again, out, it's not out, out of shame, right? Saying, hey guys, read your Bibles. No, it's out of this real question, have we devoted ourselves to the Word? Because if we don't devote ourselves to the Word, it's really hard for us to know God's will and to know what He's saying to us. And here's another question. I was reading this as I was reading Stephen's sermon. Would you be ready to preach something like that on a dime? I don't know why I am. It scares me in that sense. Like, would you be able to preach a sermon like that right on a dime, right then and there, with the pressure of everyone watching as he's under the trial? And maybe you're thinking, there's no way I'm called to do this, this thing called preaching, this thing called what you're doing up here, Doug, on the platform. And the word for preaching just means to proclaim. Yes, we come here every single Sunday and God's word is proclaimed, but when you go out from this place, you're also proclaiming something as well. Through your words, through your actions, you're proclaiming the goodness of God no matter where it is that you are going to. The word of God is power for the every single day as you go and proclaim in your relationships, into your marriages, into your friendships, into your parenting and into your kids, into your interactions with your coworkers. You're proclaiming something and you're called to proclaim. And I believe the Holy Spirit, He brings things to memory in those on certain moments where you didn't think that that was there. But that's because you've read it before. That's because you've digested it before. That's because you've committed yourself to God before. Yes, the Holy Spirit can bring things that weren't there, but most of the time I believe He brings things out that are there, that's already present within our heart. And this was already stewing inside of Stephen's heart. That way he's able to proclaim the message that way. Remember when Jesus was sending out the twelve to go and to proclaim and to perform miracles, and they're like, God, how are we going to do this? Jesus, we're not you. How on earth are we going to do something like this? And he says this in Matthew 10, uh, 19 to 20. But when they arrest you, which Stephen is at this moment, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. It will not be you speaking, but a spirit of your Father speaking through you. And there's this tremendous hope for us, and this affirmation for us, that as we follow God, as the Spirit of God is inside of us, and we go forth from this place, that words of truth will come and flow, and you're changing the ordinary places that you're going to every single day. And I have this confession. For the last year, I've been praying for a lay preacher. I've been praying for a lay preacher, for someone that's not a pastor, someone that's not on staff, 
for someone that's a part of our congregation to rise up and for God to give them a word. I've been praying for God to bring a word, maybe through you today, that you're sitting here today, that God has birthed in you this desire to declare His goodness, to go and declare how God good, how God, how good God is in your life. And you just gotta go and do shout it from the rooftops and just say that this is the God that I follow and hear the word of God today because you will be changed. Because I have been changed through him. I've been praying for that. I don't know if that's you or you're watching online or this message will go way beyond me later. But have faith that those that are called to preach isn't just a pastor or a leader, but all Christians. That God has given us that power because we all have the same spirit inside of us. And it leads to the third lesson that we see here today, today that God does his greatest work through ordinary people. It's kind of easy to say, it's like, oh, Doug, like, he preached a great message, hopefully. And he's a pastor. He can do that. But when God does his greatest work through ordinary people, which, by the way, I'm one of them, God gets all the glory even more. God does his greatest work through ordinary people. Because, again, maybe you don't want to raise your hand. <laughs> Who feels ordinary here today? You're raising your heart. But, oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for your thank you, thank you, thank you. So, you feel ordinary. That's the thing. Every single day in, in our lives, we feel like walking around like, who am I? It's one of seven billion people in this world. One small speck in the whole universe. But God says we're loved. No, we're cherished. That you deserve to be died for and be filled fully with the Spirit here today. God does His greatest work through ordinary people. We see in verse 5 that they chose Stephen. Even though we read this, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, we also read that he was a, a man full of God's grace and power and performed great wonders and signs among the people. Though all of this is true, Stephen was an ordinary guy that was there being impacted and transformed by the gospel, transformed by God. And we see this time and time again through the book of Acts. And at the end of Stephen's long sermon, this ordinary guy's sermon, Saul is standing there watching. Saul is standing there watching. It's amazing to think how through this ordinary man, as Stephen preaches the sermon, it leads to the conversion of Saul later on. Man, the apostle Saul, who later becomes the apostle Paul. Through this ordinary man preaching a message of how he's been impacted by the gospel. And I'm not sure if you know who Charles Spurgeon was, uh, but he's one of the greatest preachers known uh, in church uh, history. And if you have a chance, you just look him up. Look him up. He died a long time ago, but uh, I love these old uh, dead preachers because they still keep preaching uh, here today, <laughs> long after uh, they're gone. But Charles Spurgeon, uh, he, there's not even a picture of him. There's no voice recording. That's how long ago it was. He was an influential uh, pastor in the 1800s. He's also known as the Prince of Preachers because of how eloquent he was with his words. And uh, sometimes us pastors, we, pre uh, we, uh, we, we prep one sermon, two sermons, but apparently he prepped 13 sermons a week. I don't know how uh, he did something like that. He published 18 million words, selling 56 million copies of a sermon in 40 languages uh, in his lifetime alone, uh, in his lifetime. And though he was joyful, he also suffered from depression, so he preached from that place of how God keeps transforming him and calling him. Though he suffered from depression, he also enjoyed life. He loved to go out uh, into the thunderstorm, just yelling uh, and explaining to people 
how he likes to hear his heavenly father's voice in the thunder. He enjoyed life in that way. But do you know how he was converted? Do you know how Charles Spurgeon was converted? This is his own memoir as, you, as, I, as I read it. I sometimes think I might have been in darkness and despair now had it not been for the goodness of God in, sending, in sending snow one Sunday morning when I was going to a place of worship. When I could go no further, I turned down a court and came to a little primitive Methodist chapel. In that chapel, there might have been a dozen or 15 people. The minister did not show up that morning, snowed in, I suppose. So a poor man, a shoemaker, a tailor, or something of that sort, went up into the pulpit to preach. He was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason he had nothing else to say. <laughs> the text was, Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. He did not even pronounce the words rightly, but that did not matter. Then he shouted, as only a primitive Methodist man can, looking straight at me, Young man, you look miserable. Then lifting up his hands, he shouted, Young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, 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 you have nothing to do but to look and live. And Spurgeon later wrote, Oh, I looked until I could almost have looked my eyes away. And as he explains, at that moment, the clouds were gone, the darkness had rolled away. At that moment, he saw the sun, and, and he, as if the sun was written right before him, at that moment, he saw the precious blood of Christ. And on that Sunday, January 6th, 1850, is the date for Spurgeon's conversion, saved at the age of 15, from a shoemaker or something like that. The greatest miracles happen through ordinary people. And I believe we're filled here with ordinary people, with extraordinary stories of what God is doing and writing in our lives. Could it be possible that Saul's, uh, that the Saul's and the Spurgeons of our time couldn't, could, won't be converted until they hear you preach, until they hear you share, that you were part of that work? Could it be? Do I dare pray and will I get the joy in my lifetime to witness one of you preaching and sharing the message of the gospel to, to us all or to us virgin? Or to any other ordinary man and woman that you encounter every single day? I believe it. I think that God is doing extraordinary things through ordinary people. As I went on way too long on these points, and the service is coming to an end, I'm just going to throw these last two points <laughs> out there, and something for you to chew on. That if you feel like you don't fit into the world, that's because you don't belong to this world. That as Christians, the fourth lesson we can learn is that Christians, we are contradictions to the world. We're contradictions to what the world does, to what the world says, is because we follow a God, and, and a God that's outside of this world, that's beyond this world, we see here in Acts 7, as we skip through that sermon, that at the end of the sermon, uh, Stephen calls them, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are uncircumcised, and meaning that you're not and you're unclean, you haven't set yourself apart for God, so you don't understand this God. And then they ended up stoning him. And often, if you are a contradiction to the world, the world will try to get rid of you. So persecution comes. And you experience tension in your faith. In fact, when you're experiencing tension in your faith, unless you're going out doing unloving things, most of the time as you're going out loving people and speaking truth, there will be pushback. There will be people saying other things about you because of the God that you follow. Fifthly, Christians are also called to sacrifice, sometimes to martyr. We see here at Stephen at the end as he's being stoned, he still prays like Jesus. Forgive these people, for they do not know what they're doing. 
All Christians are called to sacrifice, but some Christians are called to martyrdom. And we see this in, 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 with, with Jesus when he says this in Matthew 16, 25. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. Our life is about giving up ourselves for the sake of the cross, for the sake of Jesus. And in that act, we receive new life. We receive a joy that is like no other. And there's Christians around the world today that are still giving up their life for the sake of the cross. And as early church father Tertullian once said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And on that day, martyrs, which comes from the Greek word martus, which means witness, as people are witnessing for their faith, the church is growing. Every act of sacrifice, whether it's with your whole life or with the smallest act of sacrifice, God is doing something in those acts. The seeds of hope are planted. The seeds of love are planted. The seeds of life are planted through acts of sacrifice. As we read the heart of God, it says this in Psalm 51, 17, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. This is the kind of heart that God yearns for and desires for us. It's a heart of sacrifice. The greatest miracles happen through ordinary people, but as you think about how your life, what you were called to sacrifice and give, what are you scared of today? What do you fear? Is it failure? Is it not being good enough? Is it your worth? Is it how other people, people will see you, what they will say? The call here today, just as Stephen did, is to look up and to look at the cross and focus on Jesus and what he is calling us to. I want to end with this story that I had a, in my program right now, uh, in a doctor ministry program at Tyndale, and one of the people in my in the program, he's a, uh, he's a chaplain, he's president of the Military Christian Fellowship, and as we we're sharing about sacrifice early on last year, about, you know, what church is like, uh, there's a church planter that was like, oh yeah, I'm planting a, ch- I'm planting a church in suburbia, Ontario, and then this chaplain shares a story of how he's planting a church in Afghanistan. We're like, okay, you win, you know, you know, you win. <laughs> uh, no, that's share sharing about that. But he was sharing about a call for prayer this week, just talking about how he was connecting with another a military Christian fellowship, the one in Ukraine, this week. And he was receiving these text messages. He receives this message and this call from the the president, Ukrainian uh, military Christian fellowship. He says, pray for us, because yesterday we were on a Zoom call and we saw our friend who's a leader of, uh, of, this, of this organization, sheltered in his bathroom as he's calling out for prayer. His situation needs survival prayer. He reports he could hear air raids, he could hear his, uh, hear his wife screaming in the back. He explains how every single night him and his wife sleep in the bathtub because they don't know if the bomb's gonna come in. Uh, and hear about this. And I think about him and the call for prayer, the call for sacrifice. He's saying, no matter what I'm saying, because the people need to hear the word of God. Man, that hits us hard. That hits us hard. It's a call for us today. If you feel ordinary, that God's going to do extraordinary things through you. The call for us today is to keep the faith. Hold on to the faith. Because miracles happen through ordinary people. Amen. But lead us now in a time of communion. 
as we speak of sacrifice, as you get your communion packs ready, if you don't have your packs, you may raise your hands and one of our greeters will come and give one to you. This is an invitation for everyone here that's declared Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. That we gather every single Sunday around a table which reminds us of the sacrifice of the cross. A sacrifice of what Jesus has done for you and for me so that we can have this new life. In 1 Corinthians 11, 23-26, we read this. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim. You preach. <laughs> you preach the Lord's death until he comes. Every single time when you take this on, your life becomes the embodiment of the gospel. You go forth and you proclaim the good news. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. And everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink it from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. So at this moment, I want us to reflect upon the sacrifice of, of Christ. And maybe we can play some music from the AB. Uh, sorry, I didn't tell you before this. <laughs> During this short little reflection time, for you to come before God in prayer, and maybe you have a sacrifice of your own that you want to offer him at this moment. Whatever it is you're holding on to at this moment, in prayer, release it and give it up to God. And then I'll pray for us as we continue on with communion. Back up to you. 
So whatever items we had in our minds, God, whatever we are leaving at the altar here today, Lord, may you take it. As we offer it to you, Lord, may you take it and may it give you honor, Lord, and may it cleanse us. May you rid us of our idols, of the ways that we have gone wrong. And we thank you, Lord, for forgiveness that you offer us onto the cross. So we pray that my Lord and my God, I give myself to you with total abandonment and surrender. My life is yours, dear God. I give myself to you without reserve, with an oblation of love. At this moment, as we take on the elements, we say, Jesus, I trust in you again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We please stand with me at this time if you're joining in and joining us uh, for communion. Uh, whether you're joining us online or here, let's all stand. The body of Christ broken for us. Let us take of it in remembrance of him. The blood of Christ shed for us. Let us drink of it in remembrance of Please remain standing. I'll send you off with this blessing and benediction. If you're wondering, I read from First Thessalonians chapter uh, chapter three, uh, verse twelve through thirteen, every single time. Let's bow our heads in prayer and lift up our hands in sign of receiving. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, and may He strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all His holy ones. Amen. Please be seated. We come now to the end of our service. Please remain uh, as, for as long as you want in silent prayer and reflection. But on your way out, say hi to a few people. Uh, send your, uh, your blessings and greetings to each other. And we'll see you next week. Don't forget to spring forward. Have a good weekend.